Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk podcast. I am Sultan Ghaznawi, your host, and today we are going to cover the impact of COVID on in-person interpreting, an important and relevant issue to our colleagues within the interpreting industry. I'm speaking with Kevin McGuire from Atlas Language Service. He is an industry veteran and has vast experience in the interpreting world. Kevin has been active in the language industry since 1992 and has dedicated his career to our industry. Kevin successfully helped launch a startup language services company from 1992 to 2000, which grew to be one of the largest on the West Coast. Then he moved to Chicago to launch his current language services company in the year 2000. Kevin attended Cypress College and finished his BSBM from the University of Phoenix and attended California State University Fullerton with an emphasis on employment law before focusing 100% on his language career. Kevin helped define legal interpretation requirements in California during the mid-1990s and has since provided linguistic support worldwide for Pope Francis in the Vatican City as well as 14 worldwide presidents or prime ministers, most of the top Fortune 100 CEOs and numerous high-profile clientele. Kevin is often called upon to help solve complex or high-profile simultaneous interpretation needs worldwide, and he continues to manage and own the Chicago Kudu Remote Simultaneous Interpreting Studio as one of the earliest Kudu studio partners since early 2018. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Kevin. How are you today? I'm doing great, Sultan. Yourself? I'm doing very well. Thank you for uh, giving us the time to speak with us today, and I'm very excited. So uh, without any further ado, let me ask you the first question. I can't wait to hear this. Tell me, how did you find yourself in the language industry, Kevin? Was it by design or accident? Like so many in our industry, it was 100% by accident. I didn't even know this industry existed. And that seems to be the the common course, right? I actually grew up in uh, Southern California, Orange County. So I grew up with Huntington Beach and Disneyland nearby. And then I also spent a lot of my summer on a rural farm up in rural Montana. When I say rural, it's like 60 miles to the nearest restaurant. So I had a very diverse background. But growing up in Southern California, you know, I was exposed to a lot of cultural diversity and I didn't realize it, which makes it even better. My high school was primarily Mexican and Koreans. Street was Westminster, which is a very large Vietnamese population. Cambodians, Russians, Armenians, Chinese. It was a very diverse background growing up. And when I graduated high school, I attended a local community college and uh, had to work myself through school. I didn't have the luxury of parents who uh, supported me through all the way through high school or through college. So I had to work through college, which was a great learning tool for me. And a friend of mine said, hey, there's this job board. You should check it out. So I went to the job board at the college and saw a ad that I thought was quite intriguing. It just kind of sparked my interest. So I called the number on there and scheduled an interview and knocked on this gentleman's door at his house (laughs) and went in and sat in his garage with him. And we did a three hour interview and it was more like a um, just old friends talking as opposed to an interview. Uh, He told me all about his, his career and what he's doing and where he was going. 
and he was a freelance Spanish court interpreter for many, many years and decided to uh, launch his own company. It was ground floor, you know, start. And I left there and uh, I was pretty sure I had the job, but I got offered another position with a uh, commercial real estate firm at a much higher pay. But my gut told me to stick with the other one. So I actually took a lower paying job in the language industry with a startup at the age of 18. It was an experience. Started there with uh, the company name is Continental Interpreting and Luis Echeverry was my mentor and a fantastic guy, a great family, and he's done a lot for the industry. So uh, I worked with uh, Continental from 1993 up until 2000. Uh, During that time period, we took it from basically a small garage shop to, I think at the time, one of the largest on the West Coast. We were covering, if I remember correctly, something like 160 depositions a day. And we were focusing primarily on legal interpretation. So uh, it was very cutting edge. There was a lot of industry change around that time. In California, they were establishing certification requirements. Right. And uh, the Judicial Council was there and involved. And uh, the CCIA, which is the California Court Interpreters Association. So while they were all working on defining, you know, a court proceeding and some of the certifications, I was pushing papers behind the scenes for them, which was really cool. And I tried to absorb as much as I could. And I had these great aspirations to maybe become a police officer. Then I was going to go into employment law. You know, this this industry kind of sucks you in and either you love it and you stay for the long term or you're out fairly quickly and Gosh, it's hard to think. I've been here almost 30 years now. Wow, so. you're a veteran. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a journey. It must have been very interesting. Let's talk about your experiences and what you've seen through your lens during this time. Well, you know, back in the early mid-90s, we had pagers. <laughs> We'd have to I call 200 people. <laughs> Old school with the phone where you dial their number. And then the pager would go D, D, D. And then you'd have to manually enter your phone number, followed by the pound sign or nowadays the hashtag sign, I guess. I got really quick at 10 key using that, you know, just trying to cover all those jobs. You know, thermal imaging faxes. God, I'm so happy we don't have those anymore. <laughs> the paper would just curl and curl and curl. And we'd have to slice it, put in order, photocopy it. It was a mess. And the industry changed a lot as well. You know, we went from some regulation in California to a lot of regulation and requirements for all the interpreters. And I think that was key for me back then is watching how interpreters became certified, the requirements, and that it was truly pushing our profession to be a true profession, not just a hobby, not just something for people to jump in and do who are bilingual. So it did evolve quite a bit, actually, during that short period of time. Yeah, in in the in the profession itself, absolutely. Equipment changed from a conference side. Equipment hasn't really changed. You know, traditional RF, radio frequency and infrared has the cases have been more aesthetically pleasing over the years, but it hasn't really changed. But the the internet changed the game for everybody, right? And cell phones, when they came out, made our lives easier. And, and now we'll look at where we're at and all the tools we're using. You know, using technology to help our industry and how we run businesses is huge. Absolutely. Kevin, to add some context, why don't you go ahead and, and tell me about where you are right now? I know that you are busy with Atlas and, and it's, it's a massive organization. It's growing. So give us some background on that. Sure. I left Continental Interpreting in in 2000. It wasn't a bad breakup. It was just time for me to move on and find myself. Uh, I was 27 years old trying to figure out what to do. I loved the industry, but I didn't want burning bridges with uh, my old mentor. I didn't want to destroy anything that we created. You know, we worked so hard in the 90s to create uh, that company, and I didn't want to hurt it or damage it. So L.A. was kind of out of the question. I looked at New York, but New York was such a massive behemoth. I wasn't ready to tackle that. 
So in 2000, I, I decided Chicago. You know, I liked the city, but I didn't right. know much about it. Uh, so I left uh, Southern California, moved up to Chicago, formed Atlas Language Services. Uh, you know, my goal was to bring more language access and equality to, to the Midwest and also focus more on conference interpretation. We've been doing that, gosh, since 2000. We've, we've grown quite a bit. We've, we're very much an organic growth company. We don't have a sales team. Uh, a lot of our growth comes from word of mouth. And, you know, I've, I've always talked about defining success. What defines you? What's your definition of success? And there's no wrong answer with that, right? For some people, it's how big can I grow my, my organization? Some others, it's how much money can I make? And others are, you know, I want to walk away at the end of the day with a warm, fuzzy feeling. And so mine's been trying to mitigate trying to grow super fast. That's something that I don't want to do. Um, so I've always kind of been, I think maybe, maybe if I really get into it, maybe I'm afraid of that I don't know. I did it with, uh, with Continental and, and it starts to overtake your life, your personal life, your relationships and everything else. So when I formed Atlas, I, I formed it with the idea of, you know, being the best at what we do, but we don't need to be the largest. And I think when you're passionate about something, everything else falls into place. You know, you tend to make the right decisions and you tend to grow organically. And I think that's the magic of, of being passionate about what you love and about running a business. So, you know, since 2000, gosh, I've worked with 14 world presidents and prime ministers. Um, our little feather in the cap is every even year. Of course, 2020 being the exception. We usually uh, are flowing to Vatican City to support Pope Francis, uh, which is a huge, huge honor. It is uh, a little stressful, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a great, uh, great um, event that we support. And I'm quite frankly, I'm totally floored that they see the value in flying me and my team over to Rome when there's lots of companies in Europe that do this. So I think we, we're doing something right and we're doing something very unique. Uh, to have some of those uh, high-end clients. You bet, Kevin, you bet. Uh, what about the team? What's the team size like right now and, and what the structure looks like? Sure. Well, uh, we're still a fairly small organization. Uh, we're right around 10 individuals. So uh, as far as employees, um, we do contract with a lot of technical support. So pre-COVID, uh, we were contracting uh, sound engineers and conference techs uh, abroad or domestically. And then we'd always have at least one Atlas employee on site to manage the project management aspect of it, making sure that the event meets our standards. Uh, fortunately, you know, obviously with COVID now that everything's changed. Uh, I'm proud to say that we have not laid anybody off or let anybody go. Uh, unfortunately, we did have one of our, our uh, technical director, uh, unfortunately passed away about a month and a half ago after many years of being with us and it was unexpected. Yeah. Uh, and that was a shout out to Joe Hikes. He was a, uh, a, a good friend of ours and right-hand man. And he was an amazing sound engineer. So we, we truly miss him over here. You know, most of our, our techs that we've worked with are people that know our standards, but we like having a, a physical employee on site to help manage those relationships with the client, keep the client calm. You know, live events is, is extremely stressful and a million things can happen during a live event. So uh, we're, we're doing that. We um, have just recently contracted with another uh, support personnel who is in Argentina 
to help us uh, grow and evaluate some of our processes inside. So it's been it's been an interesting year. Um, honestly, I'll be glad when 2020 is over so we can refresh and keep going again. <laughs> we all can't wait for this. Right. Oh, oh, okay, the topic of discussion for us today is to navigate difficult times managing a language services company. Um, given that your company is so deeply involved in providing verbal communication in the form of uh, multilingual interpreting, on site mostly. Talk to me about how things have been lately. Uh, in terms of lately, and I, I consider that time of COVID, uh, right. you know, it's been very difficult for our industry. On site has pretty much stopped from March, April, May. It was pretty much done. Nothing happened. Uh, VRI, I think, was very silent during that time period as well. Uh, and forget meetings and events. Those, those were non-existent. So lately, you know, it's been a challenge. It's been a, a big challenge trying to figure out where, what to do, how to get there, and where to go. You know, we've always done some translation. I've been one that's been a big advocate for making sure that we were diversified uh, enough. But our conference sector was by far the largest revenue stream for our company. And, mm-hmm. you know, translation has picked up, and we've seen RSI increase since May, uh, March, April, May. It was one of those things where I think we were doing seven hours a day of nothing but demos day in and day out, but nobody was signing, you know, nobody was committing. So uh, once June hit, I think people realized that we needed to kind of just move forward with life and our businesses and everything. So we've seen an increase since May on the RS side now, RSI side of the things now, and some of the VRI, and occasionally a few on-site legal interpreting assignments. Okay, so, so you're noticing that that's coming back slowly? It's slowly. I, I, I'm not... You know, I'm optimistic, but I'm not, uh, you know, doing a false hope on that. I think it's just going to be very, very slow for the next, uh, honestly, for the next five, six months. I, I truly believe we're still in this holding pattern. How were things before the pandemic, Kevin? I understand you were one of the busiest interpreting shops in our industry. Uh, give us some context to understand the impact. Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, from a conference side, uh, this was hands down our best year ever uh, as of January 1st. We had more signed contracts than we ever had. Our team was slated to work basically nonstop from March until early August, and and that included me that included a lot of international events as well. Uh, one of them being the Vatican in May, and then everything stopped. You know, the world literally stopped. Pre-COVID, we were we were making some big purchases. You know, we have I think we have about 15 fully encapsulated booths right now, and I think I signed a contract for an additional 12. Uh, we bought another like 15 or 20 interpreter consoles. And those are costs that are now just sitting in my warehouse doing nothing, right? And that's the that's the challenge with uh, conference events is you're always spending money on gear with the hope of having it pay off. And majority of the time it does. But, you know, I, it doesn't help that I spent, you know, 50, 75 grand just in some new gear just to have it sit there for next, you know, year. Well, but um, you wouldn't so, know. I mean, it was unexpected and unforeseen. So yeah, you know, it it definitely was unexpected, unforeseen. We had contingency plans in place for everything. We always like to have a a backup for our backup, as we say. But uh, it was it was very tough, you know, because we had to shell out all that money for all the equipment, and we were basing a lot of that on projections for 2020. But then once COVID hit, we had to refund all of our clients' money, and we and I'm proud to say we did. Uh, we refunded every single penny that we had uh, as a deposit from our clients. Uh, a few of them rescheduled to 2021, 
but honestly, I think it was only about five or six events truly rescheduled to 2021, which was a big surprise for me. But once again, everybody was scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. You know, we we had to then, of course, from the business side, juggle and understand PPP and mm-hmm. uh, EIDL loans, which is a U.S.-based thing to help businesses. Um, it was a little tricky there and trying to navigate and figure out, can we apply for it? Can we get it? And, you know, what's the long-term effects of it? So we really had to reevaluate our business model and our business plan after COVID. And we had to reinvest in those uh, revenue channels and, and re redirect the flow, to be honest with you. But uh, the best thing about about this is, you know, it, it gives us a chance to evaluate our processes and procedures. And for me, I, I love the analogy. It's a reset button, right? Right. Everything I didn't like or things I didn't have a chance to get to before, this al- this time period allows me to hit the reset button, allocate our internal staff to focus and look at what our processes are, how we could improve upon them, and go from there. So, you know, whenever there's something bad, there's usually something good that comes out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of companies are right now using this opportunity to look at the rearview mirror and see what they've been doing wrong and how they can improve that. And you just touched upon that. The pandemic hit every person on this planet and in one way or the other. The main driver for interpreting was events, as you just said. And the fact that people can't get together made those impossible. Give me a sense of what are your clients feeling since the pandemic hit? Lost. You know, I think everybody's trying to figure out what to do, how to do it. Right. You know, many had no idea if they could even do a virtual event. You know, associations which lie so heavily on revenue from live events now dried up. So many of the associations that we work with are having some financial issues. You know, there's a ton invested into meetings and events. It's the the, the sheer dollar volume of hosting a, you know, a sizable conference is, you know, six digits easily. A lot of times it's up to seven and occasionally eight digits. So clients were lost. They're trying to scramble to adapt. And, um, you know, like like I said, I think those first 90 days, March, April, May, everybody's just trying to gather data and figure out a game plan and a strategy and see, you know, is this going to blow over quick? Is it going to be here long term? And reformulate their own business plans, essentially. We, we're very fortunate with Atlas Language Services that we've We've worked in technology for a long time. In 2015, we started to work on RSI. It was very, very new during that time period. Uh, And unfortunately, a lot of companies used it as a, it was a derivative. They were focusing on getting audio from one room to another and saw that they can use it for interpretation. So it was, it worked, but it wasn't really working well. And then uh, over the years, RSI has become a huge uh, game changer for the conferences and events. 2018, uh, we became the largest uh, or one of the newest studios for Kudo. So Alice Language Services is the Chicago Kudo studio, which means that we have a full sound studio here in-house with backup redundancy for internet and, and power. And we have commercial generators. And we have entire kit and caboodle out here. It was a hard sell. Uh, be honest with you, a lot of clients didn't see the value of doing our, uh, we had a few clients that were tech companies that love the RSI aspect of it. And for their shows, we would do it. We would do a hybrid. We'd have oftentimes the interpreters on site and then they would be streaming out onto the, uh, RSI platform. And then the audience would be listening in through their smartphones and, and stuff. 
And the, the challenge with that, though, is the venues charge a premium because now you need more Wi-Fi access points. You need more bandwidth for everybody listening and watching the video on their phone. So there's a lot of added expense there. But for some techno, tech companies like Salesforce, for example, their their venues are all wired to top quality premier uh, Internet. So it was a natural, natural fit. But Absolutely. nowadays clients are starting to see that that come through to where, okay, this is a little bit more viable for some of our our shows that we typically wouldn't do remote interpreting for. And and it would be natural to find ways to adapt, as you just said, uh, RSI and VRI. How did your company adapt? Like you mentioned something about changing the business model and so forth. Talk to me about that. Yeah, you know, it, it's tough because you, you have to adapt. You can't just sit in the same old pattern because it doesn't work after a while. You know, you always have to be willing to to explore and and as an entrepreneur, you have to be willing to take risk. Everything is a calculated risk, essentially, right? Right. Um, so you have to be able to look ahead, try and figure out what the best course of action is for the future, how to get there, implement it. And it's it's tough. You know, some people are very hesitant to change. And I don't think you can really be in the linguistics industry and and fight change. You have to adapt to it. I mean. Heck, telephonic interpreting came out in the 90s, and we all thought, oh, boy, it's going to take over all the live on-site interpreting, you know, but <laughs> it, does, it didn't, right? It's just right. a it's a different uh, option, and that's true with everything. That's true with RSI and, and you know, OPI and VRI and everything else out there. So, right. you know, our, our we were very fortunate in the sense that um, our team was working remotely a lot. At the peak, I was traveling 200 days a year. Last year, I, I cut it back down to about, I think it was just shy of 100 days. And so it's not uncommon for our team to work remote, you know, to sign in. And we had everything set. The The people who had the challenge with it were what I call our foundation team, our team that comes into our physical office Monday through Friday and keep the day-to-day operations going. They had a little bit more of a struggle with it because now, you know, they're at home. And, and now that if they have young kids, they have – Kids coming up, mommy, you know, help me with this. And, you know, the little ones don't understand. Right. And, and that's just part of working from home nowadays. It's not it's not uncommon. And and it's actually a kind of a good change. You know, people have a chance to spend a little bit more time with their family. It depends so, how you look at it. Yeah, of course. You know, it, it's at the end of the day, I always say, at the end of the day, when you take your last breath, what are you going to be thinking about? And that's what you really need to focus on. You know, that's kind of like a life coach thing, right? Absolutely. You know, and I think that stems from, I'm a workaholic. I think most entrepreneurs in one way or another are. Right. And you have to manage that life balance, the family. And uh, so, you know, for us, if we're, we have a team meeting, we meet on Microsoft Teams at least once, if not a couple times a day. You know, somebody has a, a little one come up. You know what? I want to know who your kids are. I want to <laughs> know who, because that's who you are, right? Your family is your most important your most cherished person. So the more I know about you, your family and everything else, the the more it's, it's a little bit personal, but yet, you know, it, it's what makes we makes us who we are. And we're small enough to where I consider us a little bit more of a tight knit family than, than just coworkers. Absolutely. And, and you're right because before COVID happened, there was two structures in society, work or family, you know, personal yeah. life. Now I think that the lines are blurring and, and people are becoming more appreciative of uh, that human connection. So, uh, you know, knowing someone's family, knowing someone's kids is no longer a taboo as it was back in the day. 
you don't I don't want to see your family or anything. You just show up in the office and do the work. Do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's changed. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I never did understand, you know, that's the most important thing in your person in your life. And you're just going to kind of shun it. I mean, I never understood that from a company perspective. I think it's good to have family outings. You know what? If we schedule a, a summer picnic and, and, you know, company pays for everything and has everybody out there, you know, bring your family, bring the kids. I, and I'm a big kid at heart. So anytime <laughs> I get, you know, kids just give me a chance to be young again. Right. Absolutely. So <laughs> it's I think it's key to run a successful business because it's all about the people. It's Everything about the human about connection. People. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So f- for this pivot or change to happen, I mean, we got all got forced into working from home, but uh, for you to um, define these new services, uh, what was necessary to be accomplished? Did you have to retrain your staff, for example? Well, you know, it was a more of a mental attitude we had to take. Uh, we had to take all the norms of what we've known out of the equation and our, ask ourselves, are there any other solutions? I love big, bad, horrible, crazy ideas. You know what? You got an idea, give it to me. And, you know, amazingly, sometimes those ideas stick. Sometimes they're just bad, crazy, weird ideas, but occasionally those stick and they work. And for us, we had to become creative and and think unlike anyone else has. You know, what can we do to differentiate ourselves? What can we do to keep our, our organization going? And how can we ensure that our staff are protected, you know, and how can we handle our interpreters? I mean, I say it's about the people. Um, We use contract interpreters for everything, but if they don't succeed, we don't succeed. We had to, you know, for, for example, with the RSI, we have our studio. Um, It was a a substantial financial investment in pre pre COVID. Everybody would come to our studio or they'd go to a partner studio and work from there. So that way we had control over mics and equipment and bandwidth. And then COVID hit and well, nobody's going anyplace. So they had to work hundred percent remotely. And I was a little hesitant on that. Um, I know it's possible, but you know, I don't want the doorbell ringing while somebody's interpreting or the dog bark during a conference. So, you know, we just had to, to kind of roll the dice on that trust that our uh, professional contracted help were professionals and by golly, internet, we were, fortunately, we had no issues with internet uh, remotely, even though I had some at my house when I was working from home. Uh, but during shows, everything's worked out good. So, yeah, well, it didn't take much to retrain. We just had to redirect. Good for you. I- I'm glad that things worked out at the end and uh, you were able to adapt. Uh, tell me uh, about your evaluation process to get something in place quickly in order to avoid any disruption in your operations? Well, you know, fortunately, having RSI to supplement our live events was key. You know, that we had that in place already. Uh, and that's something that we've been pushing with certain clients for a long time. So it wasn't a huge pivot or evaluation that we had to do in that. Our real scramble for us was more on the legal on site where we really had to embrace VRI and I'll be honest with you, we, we subcontract that through uh, uh, Certified Languages International, who's handled all of our OPI stuff for the last 20 years. And the VRI was just a different avenue for us. So, you know, the, the key is to, to support your clients as quickly, efficiently, and professionally as possible. And right. I think by having the relationships in place already with certain key providers, 
expedited that process so that way it was less it was more streamless for our uh, clients to be able to utilize those services I think it goes without saying the technology saw an unprecedented adoption during this pandemic across all industries, probably more than any time in history, with the only exception being the invention of Internet itself. How did it play a role in your company's adaptation and and, and pivoting? I know you're big on technology, so. Yeah, you know, technology is, is it's one of those things where you just have to embrace it. Like you said, they. It, it, it basically it's pivotal to our success and ability to stay in business. Without technology, we're out of business, and we have to always embrace technology. So during this time, uh, it helped us to look at our processes internally pre-COVID, and we had everything scattered. And I, I mentioned the reset button earlier. This allowed us to hit that reset button. So, you know, we got rid of Zoom and we got rid of Slack, and we've been a Microsoft Office for years, but we didn't pull everything in. So with the technology aspect, we're able to pull in Microsoft and use strictly Microsoft Office, which has allowed our staff to communicate more seamlessly and everything's housed a little bit tighter and and more embraced. Um, You know, society, which didn't embrace technology as much as perhaps it should have, is now embracing VRI and RSI on a regular basis. So the adaptation of technology uh, during this time period has been tremendous in that regard. Okay. And with this change or or pivot, um, you have enabled your clients to deliver value and get the work done that they would normally get done in person. What does this mean for your clients? Do they see the same level and type of value from your company? I believe so. From the legal side, you know, courts were on hold for a long time. And what does that do to due process for our judicial system? You know, it kind of puts everything on hold. Now clients are able to schedule their own legal proceedings virtually much easier now. They're able to, you know, I, I'm still an old school guy. I like being on site and seeing people, but v- with the video, you're allowed, you're able to, to get through some of that body language and nonverbal communication that you typically wouldn't. From the conference side, oh, it's huge. You know, global messaging was vital for some of these large corporations. You know, I think of, of like General Motors or McDonald's or Mars or something like that, where they need to reassure their, their staff that everything's okay and here's what we've done. By by having some of this technology in place already, we've been able to support some of those large clients when they do those global uh, meetings. You know, it might be one directional, meaning that the CEO is speaking to, you know, an audience of say eight, nine, 10,000 people uh, in, I think we did recently about 10 languages. By offering that to our clients, they actually see the value from our company as far as we're the experts. We know how best to help them get through some of this stuff. We know how to try and mitigate some of the cost, some of the, the pitfalls that are out there. And the technology is a two, two, um, two-sided two sword, to be honest with you. Right. It's, it's great, but it has a lot more troubleshooting technical aspects than, say, on-site. Now, always look at traditional conference interpretation where you have the booths and your receivers and your transmitters on-site. And then RSI, where everything is virtual. Well, when you're on site, you only have five or six fail points, right? Your audio right. coming in, your signal going out. And then there's there's more a few more than that. But there's only so many limited fail points where with RSI or technology, it could be anywhere. It could be my bandwidth. It could be my microphone access, my internet permissions, uh, the platform itself. There's 
an endless amount of fail points with technology. So it has its own challenges. And I think by being the expert in that, it allows our clients to, to come to us, say, this is what we need. How can we best succeed? And we can guide them through keeping their cost and their end goal in mind. Okay. Well, Kevin, would you say that doing business virtually over a technology platform is enough to substitute the loss of revenue from doing in-person interpreting business? From an LSC point of view? Right. I don't think so yet. Um, not unless you have a massive market share, which it, for the conference side, I don't, I don't think anybody really does. There's so many players now with Interpify, Interactio, Kudo, you know, Inter- Interpret Cloud. It seems like everybody's launching a new platform every day. And for us, we we looked at that and said, okay, do we go down that path or do we just focus on uh, subcontracting that, that gear out and being the, the expert in the language realm? And for us, it just focused on what we know best. And that's the language side and meetings and events and bringing that together, not necessarily the technology platform. I think that's a that's a very tough question. I think that's something that a lot of people need to look at. From a legal side, can you do it virtually? I would say, yeah. As long as you have the volume, it's all about volume at that point, because unless you design and own the platform, your your cost to purchase or sublease or however you want to phrase that is much higher. You know, with equipment, I own all my own equipment. We we buy it, pay for it cash, and then we depreciate over time. And, you know, that's much more profitable than, say, virtual by by far. Um, but it's a, it has its own risk, right? You end up, like I said, I got oh, at least 75 grand worth of equipment in my warehouse that's brand new. That's not being used. So well, I, I'm sure with COVID changing over time, there will be definitely uses for those equipment. I believe so. Right. And hopefully that's not too far in the future. So, um, you know, fingers crossed, uh, maybe in a few months that that equipment will see the light of day. I believe it will. I truly do. Absolutely. I know you briefly touched on this, but what are some of the challenges of using technology and performing interpreting virtually? The challenges of technology is everything from the interpreters. You know, you're trying to troubleshoot computers and, and internet specs for individuals who have a wide variety of knowledge, everything from, you know, where's the inner key to people who, you know, code on the side. Um, and sometimes it's that's a challenge on its own. Um, the clients, you know, they want the world, they don't want to pay for it, and they only have so much bandwidth and, and access and everything else. The users, you know, it, it's there's endless amounts of challenges with technology. Two years ago, my, my answer would be totally different. You know, we'd have a lot more challenges with it because, because people weren't as familiar with it. Now that we have COVID and the vast majority of people are working from home and using Zoom and meetings and hangouts on a daily basis, that knowledge that they've gained in the last six months has completely transformed their, their knowledge base on how to use technology properly. So it's it's definitely gone down. There are challenges with uh, technology and performing interpreting virtually is very tough for interpreters. I can uh, imagine. Yeah. Simply because there's a lot of communication that goes on in a physical booth between the two, between you know nonverbal communications, looking at each other, saying, "What did he just say?" or you know, "Help me with this acronym." Now a lot of interpreters are pulling up a second device like their cell phone, FaceTiming their partner so they could non-verbally communicate 
over the phone while they're still interpreting, you know, right, or right. they have a we uh, a WeChat or WhatsApp group to try and text with, just to make it a little bit faster. Um, but uh, it's it's definitely tough, and and I've always been a big advocate for interpreters. I think it's key that they know how to switch back and forth so carefully and casually. So they they do have some challenges there. And, and how do your interpreters feel now that you have moved them to a virtual space? You know, some are loving it and some aren't. You know, we have a couple of Spanish interpreters that are just working a ton and they're making a ton of cash, which is good because I'm glad somebody is. But I would say they are very much in the minority. Uh, most really? interpreters are are not making as much as they would like to, of course. Um, and then there's the mental confusion from jumping from one platform to another platform. You know, Kudo operates totally different than Interactio. And the inter- interpreter interfaces are are much different. So when you're constantly switching back and forth to try and accommodate clients and other uh, LSCs, it mentally it's it's very challenging. Yeah, I, w- I would imagine so. And the pandemic is still ongoing. Uh, and I'm not sure when we can see an end or a possibility, hopefully soon. Um, how do you forecast things for the in-person inter- interpreting industry going forward? You know, I think, like I said, we're starting to see legal pickup. Right. Uh, I don't foresee that totally being back to where it was pre-COVID. Um, I think people have realized that there's some cost savings and there's other benefits of using virtual for legal proceedings. So I, I think with that, we'll see it continue to slowly increase with more on-site requests, but I don't think it'll ever be back to where it was. Now, conference... Uh, in events, that's the biggie, right? That's the billion dollar question. You know, people crave interaction and and they truly need it. People want to travel. My guess is we won't see it kind of really pick back up until late spring, early summer at best next year of 2021. Okay. Well, that, that's if that happens, I mean, it's very good news for all of us. And that's optimistic. Yeah. What would you say to people uh, who are convinced that we will not return to the old normal, as you just said, and what we have now or further adaptation to restrictions will become the norm? Do you think that will happen? You know, if we can't figure out COVID and how to, to reduce the risk of COVID and the, the side effects of it, you know, it's possible uh, that it won't return back to normal. But I see that as very uh, unlikely. As I mentioned earlier, people want and need to be exposed to other people. You know, we're, we're social by nature and being alone or virtual may work for a limited time. I think I think we're all kind of getting tired of virtual meetings, right? We are. The Zoom fatigue <laughs> is everywhere. <laughs> right. You know, and, and that's the that's the magic. Uh, the vast majority of us crave and need that social interaction. Live events is, is going to be a challenge going back. You know, everything from simple like meals, buffets. Now, buffets are no longer uh, seating arrangements. Now, we went from being able to, to pack rooms to now you have to really massively spread them out and only so many people per table. Conference spa- venue spacing is changing. Happy hours as we know it, you know, are kind of a thing of the past where everybody was crammed in a room. You couldn't hear anybody, but you still had great conversations and, and great drinks and had a lot of fun. So, you know, those are things of the past. But uh, I do believe that they will slowly be reintroduced back into that uh, arena. Well, hopefully soon, because, uh, I mean, as I said, there's the Zoom fatigue happening and, and there's only yeah. so much we can take. Yeah. Let, let's talk about something personal here. You have been very resilient during this difficult time. How did you lead and, and manage while keeping calm uh, during a challenging era in your company's history? Being a CEO, do we have a choice? <laughs> <laughs> we don't, but how did you do Inter- it? 
internally we're freaking out, right? Because on the outside we're calm, cool, collected, um, <laughs> and that's not true. We all feel it, and and I think being an entrepreneur or CEO is uh, beyond challenging. Um, we do it because once again we love it. And Atlas Language Services isn't my only enterprise that I run. But, uh, you know, there's a time when you need to roll up your sleeves. You need to focus on the work that you do. Like I said, I love that reset button analogy that I've used a couple times now. You know, we we reviewed our processes. Um, we have to utilize these changes, uh, these challenges, and rethink our brand and our organization, staff, and their workloads. And we have to have a positive attitude. For us, it was a matter of making sure that our staff were safe and um, employed because they still have, you know, they have food to put on their table for their empl- their their families. Oh, okay. So, you know, it was a matter of just staying calm, cool, collected. Thank God we've we've had reserves to offset disasters or issues in the past. Absolutely, I understand. So you talked about being uh, keeping calm, cool, and collected, and and that's not something that everybody. Um, does the same way, I guess. Do you have a strategy to manage this type of stress? You know, you have to look at the big picture. Um, for me, managing that stress is focusing on what's important at the end of the day. You know, what are my goals? And I write down my goals probably once a week, and I just kind of glance over them to make sure that I'm still heading in the right direction. With live events, you can never panic. And when you do panic, everything tends to to fall apart. So, for me, it was just a matter of keeping my goals in line. Um, I knew March, April, May were going to be tough. I was hoping it would pick up more by June, but it hasn't, you know, we'll be honest with you. And I think all of us in the language industry are probably on the same page. I cannot believe the sheer number of resumes and inquiries I get on a daily basis asking for work. Uh, that saddens me for our industry. Um, and I think it, it, Shows a different story that maybe not everybody wants to talk about. Uh, but for language, you know, interpretation on site, you know, we, we've been hit very, very hard and it sucks. But, you know, at the end of the day, everything has a plan. You know, we, we've survived 9-11. We've survived 2008. Uh, we just have to roll up our sleeves, minimize all of our costs that are flowing out, you know, and uh, focus on, on the people and trying to come up with creative solutions to help uh, increase our revenue stream. And as you said, there's only so much control you have over circumstances. There's quite a bit that that's outside influences that's affecting you. And I think the the success is defined as not your ability to to recover, but your ability uh, your ability to fall down and and then uh, walk again. Oh, right? absolutely. So, yeah, and 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 you beautifully define how you are planning and and you've managed things. So, what advice would you give other um, executives in our industry or any field in the language space, for that matter, to withstand this storm and come out of it with uh, as little little skating as possible? Buckle down. You know your business. You know your company culture. You know your strengths and weaknesses better than anyone else. Do right. not second guess everything. I, you know, we tend to overthink and over um, analyze everything we do. And, um, you know, that that can be our downfall at times. But deep down, you know your business better than anyone else. So make a commitment and see it through. You know, stay the course. You know, find those hidden gems in your company. We all have them. Um, and surprisingly, at times like this, those people step up and, and shine through a little bit more than maybe you gave them credit for in the past foster those, you know, once again, it's all about the people, you know, your team is going to follow you, 
but you need need to give them a voice. And sometimes those are those big, crazy, bad ideas uh, are exactly what you need. I'd also further say, you know, get involved in our industry. Uh, associations like ALC, Gala, Elia uh, are a huge help. You know, we don't always have the answers. Uh, we're expected to somehow, but we don't. And um, I think those network peer groups have been tremendous. And, and as you know, Sultan, I'm, I'm heavily involved in the association language companies. Right, right. Um, and Renato said it beautifully a while back, you know, you whatever you put into an organization, you get a return on tenfold. And um, until he said that, I truly, truly didn't realize it, but it's absolutely true. Wow. And uh, you talked about ALC briefly. It, tell me about how being involved in, in uh, ALC and other groups uh, of uh, like-minded people helped you manage the, and also um, understand the realities of our industry today. H- how did you use that to your advantage? <laughs> well, they're all of our competitors, right? So right. why in That's the world exactly. would I yeah. join them and talk to them? But uh, you know what? Some of my best friends are, are ALC members and our competitors. Uh, people have some great ethics. And quite frankly, you know, there's amazing talent there. They have made me a better CEO and entrepreneur than I could have ever gotten by going to school or any other avenue. You know, we have people who are not afraid to tell you what they think. And that's just it. That's their opinion. So by by getting involved in those organizations, It helps you foster a sense of, of trust. Um, there's been times where I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Does anybody has anybody experienced the same problem? And guess what? Somebody usually has. I mean, that blew my mind. I thought I was in this alone. Um, so those those answers and those cr- critiques and questions and the direction that our peers give us is beyond valuable. I cannot uh, emphasize that month enough. Uh, And I can agree with you because I've been involved with ALC for a few years as well. And then yourself and other folks there, it's been uh, incredible and tremendous in terms of how much value I've received. So Absolutely. as you said, it's beyond valuable uh, for sure. As we reach uh, the end of this interview, Kevin, please share a few words about your company and what it offers. Sure. Well, Atlas Language Services is a full service LSC. Uh, so we handle commercial translations Uh, on-site interpreting, and our big market share is with the conference interpretation support. Uh, we have a meeting planner on staff full-time to help organize events, uh, not just domestically, but worldwide. Um, so we we're able to take a look at some of our clients' events and say, you know, if you move these people around in this format, you'll be able to maximize exposure for this language group, provide language equality and access, but also minimize your cost. That's a, a very unique aspect that we bring. Uh, we are all busiest Kudo Studios for full RSI. So uh, I think right now we're, we're doing quite a few events uh, on a daily basis for Kudo. Uh, and if those that aren't familiar with Kudo, it's basically a, a remote simultaneous interpretation platform uh, allowing for true multilingual meetings, webinars, and events. So if you need support or have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to myself or my team. Uh, most of our clients are end clients. Uh, we work with the likes of Fortune and Time and and um, numerous other Fortune 100 companies. Uh, a lot of us have multiple security clearances with various governments. So uh, you have questions regarding conference interpretation in general or anything, you know, always shoot me an email or give me a call. I'll be happy to, to help support you guys. 
And on that note, if people wanted to get in touch with you to discuss any of the topics we covered today or for any business opportunities for that matter, what is the best way to find you and reach out to you? You know, I'm always available via email, and that's kevin at atlasls.com. That's kevin at atlasls.com. Or they give us a call here in Chicago at 815-479-1600. Or there's always our Facebook page, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, we should be better at posting, but uh, sometimes it gets away from us. But uh, the, feel free to reach out one way or another. We'd love to chat. Even just to connect, I have no problem with that as well. Uh, like I said, it's about, all about people in this industry and connections and making sure that we can help facilitate and promote our wonderful language industry that we all love and care about so much. You bet, Kevin. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. And I understand that while the industry is changing, I hope that it is for the better. Uh, I hope we can discuss specific topics in our industry in the future. And I really enjoyed speaking with you as always and hope to talk to you again soon. Likewise, it's been fun. Thanks, Alton. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, thank you. Take care. I've picked three products to review today that may apply to the topic of our conversation. Since we covered interpreting, I'm going to review three generic products that can offer support for remote interpreting. First on my list is Zoom. While it is a very robust and widely used platform, it has the ability to add an interpreter or sign language interpreter to join the call as a party. Zoom is available on desktop and mobile. The quality of the audio and video is pretty good, and there is 40-minute limit on free meetings and calls. They even provide local and toll-free phone numbers for people to dial in in case they do not wish to use the online audio functions. There are challenges for the interpreter though, and that makes it difficult to use. I give this platform 7 out of 10 for its features. Second on my list is Google Meet. It is a direct competitor to Zoom. It also has the ability to join a party that could offer interpreting service. The platform is quite robust and it has also the ability to call a third-party phone number like an over-the-phone interpreting or OPI provider to provide language interpreting on the platform. From my experience, the Google Meet platform uses a lot of resources on the computer and sometimes hangs when the video is in use, suggesting it is very bandwidth intensive. I give Google Meet 7 out of 10 as well. Third on my list is Microsoft Teams. While it can support adding another party to the conversation to provide remote interpreting, it also has the ability to connect with Microsoft Translator, which adds captions to the conversation in the language of their preference. You can use both the text, chat, or the speech channels for the machine captioning and translation functions that Microsoft Translator offers. I am not a big fan of the mechanical translation and captioning, but this is a good start and I'm sure Microsoft Teams will improve over time. I give this platform a solid 7 out of 10 for its innovative design and ease of use. Well, we have reached the end of this episode. My conversation with Kevin McGuire was very insightful as he shared his experience dealing with a pandemic of historical proportions, which has affected us all in a way or the other. I loved how Kevin has been able to adapt and evolve his organization and found the best way to keep calm and collected under pressure. This is reflective of a true leader to me. Make sure to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite platform and keep your constructive criticism and feedback coming. Give us a five-star rating on the platform where you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.